0: Welcome to this. It's finally fall. I'm safely saying it, Nick. It's finally fall. It feels like fall. We got grouse season coming up this weekend. Uh, Lots of people excited for that. But welcome, welcome to this finally fall episode of the Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast. I think it's episode 49. I haven't been canceled yet, boys. So wow, you made me co-host, and that (laughs) really helped (laughs) the longevity (laughs) of the show. Sitting here at the uh, beautiful Foss Building in Downtown Pier, or Uptown Pier, South Dakota today. Got uh, my official co-host, Nick Harrington, with me today, and we're sitting across from the Eureka Flash. Oh, gosh. The Director of Wildlife. Is that your title, Tommy? Director of Wildlife. Came from uh, uh, small beginnings, but uh, sitting in a big chair now. I got Tommy Kirschman sitting with us today. Boss, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Good morning, guys. Tommy, uh, we started this a few months ago um, with, with some discussions with Commissioner Ristler about just trying to get another breakdown of the commission meetings and just kind of personal perspectives, if you will. But before we get into that, uh, I, I made allusions to you being the Eureka Flash, and I always say that your name is on the uh, water tower in Eureka. Which it's but not. It's not. <laughs> it isn't. too long. It's yeah. go all the way around. It, but, uh Talk about, Tommy, where you came from, who you are, your family, all that stuff. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Chris. Yeah,
1: a native of Eureka, South Dakota, a little town right in the north central part of the state. Starting and, quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> Doesn't say much. Um, but yeah, grew up uh, in Eureka uh, with my parents who ran a large animal veterinary practice and also farmed at the same time. and. Certainly had the love for the outdoors and we did a lot of hunting and fishing, which ultimately led to a career in wildlife fisheries and outdoor resources. And, uh, went attended SDSU, did both a bachelor's and master's degree in wildlife management there, go Jackrabbits. Let's not even go there Chris. No, I'm, I'm just sitting here neutral.
2: Cause <laughs> yeah. I went to SDSU with Tom, but I'm still go Huskers. So I just, I'm yeah. neutral yeah. on this one, <laughs>
1: uh, go Jackrabbits and, um, And then from school, I actually had uh, the unique opportunity and joined Pheasants Forever, where I worked for PF for 10 years as a regional wildlife biologist. Five years of that, I covered the states of Illinois and Indiana, and then had the opportunity to come back and take over that role for South Dakota and Wyoming. A lot of fun, met a lot of really neat people and dedicated people to the outdoors. While my time with Pheasants Forever, working with all those different volunteer groups out there and had a lot of fun doing that. Then had the opportunity to actually join uh, Game Fish and Parks as the upland game biologist uh, and worked out of Huron for uh, three years doing that uh, position and then came to peer to the central office after doing that for three years as the wildlife program administrator. And then did that for a short stint and then took over the terrestrial section chief, uh, did that for about 10 years. And then had the distinct opportunity and an honor to fill the role of the director of the wildlife division starting in 2020.
0: And here we are today. You add those years up, Nick. He doesn't look old, but he's actually even older than me. He looks like he's about 23. That's a bold (laughs) statement when you're older
2: than Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even gonna go there. I just celebrated a birthday. Big yes, twenty seven. Happy birthday. <laughs> I can't believe you're
0: twenty seven either. But I think I've been married longer than you yeah, I, <laughs> I think we discussed I think we discussed this when I started and that's yeah. when I just Okay tease Nick that I have shoes older than he is and yeah. I, I do have a pair of shoes that are pretty close but Great. Tommy, um, talk about what you do when you're not working. You got two kids that are a handful yeah. and you got an awesome wife. I mean yeah
1: no i'm very very fortunate uh, my family loves the outdoors obviously and i have two boys a 13 year old and a eight year old they are very rambunctious uh, love hunting love fishing uh, big into fishing that's one of their passions um, and so we spend a lot of time on ponds on the river uh, trying to find that elusive gigantic largemouth bass and those big bluegills but uh, i don't know uh, the last couple of weeks, my oldest <laughs> is turning into the walleye. There hey, we go. Oh, I just bought
0: a, ba- a just, bass, buggy yep, a buggy boat. Yep. Just, butter.
1: just this morning, he said he wants to go walleye fishing tonight. So, oh, I don't know. Maybe the tide has turned, oh, but no, I lost that's okay. That. As long as they want to go outside and do outdoors, we're we're good with that. And uh, um, they're very active in sports. They're both hockey fanatics, and they both love playing baseball and other other sporting activities. So it's a lot of fun chasing them around. Uh, and then my wife, Crystal, she's an RN at the hospital here in Pierce. She has done obstetrics as a specialty for her entire nursing career and absolutely loves it. So she
0: delivered, she was there, delivered uh, my little one. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Tommy, before we get started, my two earliest memories, first memory, my first outing where we are grouse netting at night oh, yeah. and it was a, uh, you'd put, radio collars on on female grouse right correct and then we went in at night to look for broods right and then yeah. we were going to net them and see brood sur- survivability yeah, we, we captured we did a grouse project on the Fort Pierre National Grasslands yeah. and we would
1: capture them with the walking traps while they were on their legs right in the spring and then the females we put the uh, radio collars on them like Ooh, a necklace radio like colors. a necklace style <laughs> so that when we could track them when they had their successful clutches hatched and capture the broods, (laughs) and we'd go in during the middle
0: of the night and capture them. I literally on them. I literally thought this was a snipe hunt. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we went out and I, I barely knew who Tommy was. You were still in Huron. Yep. And came and, and I think Greg Woolbrink was there. Yep. Tony Dean was there. Yep. And we've come pulling into this spot at night and I'm looking at these guys going, I know this is a prank. <laughs> I know this is a prank. But Tony Dean's here with us. So it's got to be a little legit. Yep. First thing we did, we start, I'm with Tommy. Vehicle pulls in, Tommy pulls in, we're kind of getting ready and Tommy looks and the Vehicle ahead of us. there was a fire. <laughs> smoke I'm rolling just, out of that. Thing. I'm just thinking. Oh, I wonder if I could go back to tourism. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm getting blamed. I'm the new guy here. I'm getting blamed on this deal. Whatever we do, we're not going to start the Fort pure National grasslands <laughs> on fire tonight, guys. With it, the, and then wa- literally walking around at night, and Tommy's got a little, you know, GPS or a, a, like a radio a receiver. telemetry receiver, and beep 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 beep, and then people are diving with fishing nets, and I'm going, what in the <laughs> heck? And there's little grouse running all over, and I'm, you know, that, oh, yeah, okay, but... Somebody so would have cool. thought there was UFOs out there. Right, I, yeah. I, I was going to say,
2: I think I saw a Walker Texas Ranger was, on this once, was, but it didn't sound it, as official. Yeah, it was
1: crazy. <laughs> you walked in in the pitch dark, pitch. middle of nowhere, and you literally walk around the receiver and mark the corners with, like, glow sticks. Yes. So that we assumed that she was about it right was, in the center, and then we'd walk with this big net and drop it over, right. and then... <laughs> I'll go in there and catch the, the chicks. And and try not to bridge. squash. Oh, <laughs> well, we had 13 and a hole, hole three. Sur- survive a body Diamond. of the hole. <laughs>
0: and, and then I think, Tommy, my other story that, uh, at the first fair I ever worked, I pull in and you were in here on and you had Switzer and we had, and I think the statute of limitations on, on like, uh, like personnel and, and, work workplace safety we've got a four-wheeler and about seven wooden pallets stacked and if you've ever been at the fair over the top of the cement pond it used to be this kind of temporary structure and they would they would lash these uh, canvas banners, canvas, canvas banners you know to provide shade and i look up and switzer's driving and tommy's hanging hanging <laughs> these things and i and i'm standing there going okay this isn't safe and and uh Switzer goes, well, Hole, you get up there and do it. So I'm going, and they're all laughing, and as soon as I reach up, Switzer drives away. So I'm hanging, <laughs> there, hanging there with one hand going, guys, uh, everybody's laughing. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know. But I digress. I took a left turn, but those are two of the stories.
2: So the grass was legit, right? the state fair was. Yeah, I guess mean, the takeaway. Oh, the state fair was
1: legit. <laughs> yeah, it was a total setup. A total setup,
0: but... All right, let's get to the the item at hand. We had a commission meeting in Watertown last week. Um, I think it was a good commission meeting. I think yeah. it was one that we were all a little worried about. We put a, in a little extra effort to make sure that we were connected and and everything. And, and big thanks to South Dakota Public Broadcasting and some of the extra help and the Ramcota staff for sure. But before we get into it, Tommy, one of the new things that, that this leadership has kind of brought in is... At the start of the meeting, or usually really early at the meeting, we, we talk and we get the chance to introduce some of the new staff yeah. to the commission and, and even some of us that you know, maybe are trying to be aware of who's coming and who's going. Talk about that and that importance a little bit, Tommy.
1: Yeah, it, it's something new that we've started here probably five, six months ago, somewhere in that ballpark. And you know, when you think of, I'll just give the example of the Division of Wildlife, you're talking about 290 staff total. And when you talk about the department collectively, we're at close to 500 full time right. employees. So there's a lot of folks out there scattered across the state. And, you know, we have basically a monthly commission meeting except for February and August where we don't. And, you know, the commission sees us, right? Uh, right. The administrative mm-hmm. folks, the communication staff, uh, some key folks that are normally at commission meetings. And so, When somebody's new in some of that type of position, they they get to meet them real quickly, right? Um, So what we have started, uh, regardless what the position is, at what level, what discipline, it doesn't matter. When we bring on a new employee, we like to introduce them to the commissioners. And if they can be there in person and they're in close proximity, we certainly want to have them there in person. But if not, they join virtually via teams and... And uh, So it's just a unique opportunity for us to get new staff, somebody brand new to the department, get put a face with a name, have the commissioners be able to see them, um, and now we're going to start asking them to give just a few little blurbs about themselves to right. you, right? You know, who are you? Where are you from? What's your right. hobby? Uh, just to get to know those staff. I mean, each and every one of those staff members out there are so important to what we do. The commission has a high interest in all of our staff and the duties, responsibilities, the projects they work on. And this just gives a great opportunity for them to get to know our staff as well. And And uh, so it's gone over really well. I think those new staff really appreciate just the fact of being able to join and see the faces of the commission because a lot of those folks don't understand exactly what the commission is right. either. Mm-hmm. And they're such a big role of everything that we do. And so it's good to make that connection. And you know, my my
2: first Tom story isn't near as cool as holes, but one of the first interactions I had with you when I first started in, in a very similar position was... We went from regional meeting to regional meeting, and your presentation was about the rule promulgation process. Yeah. And yeah. you talked about, and you had an awesome flow chart, and I heard your presentation four or five times. And I, I think I know it by heart now, and I think you could have given my presentation too. But I don't think
1: you paid attention the first couple of times. <laughs> no, I paid attention. Oh.
2: I paid attention to the first one, and then I was able to. <laughs> but I mean, that was just one of those things that, you know, as a new staff member, I had no idea how that yeah. process worked. And again, I I had the luxury of being able to listen to you give that kind of, you know, step by step. But I think that's something that as we bring these folks on, getting to know how, because it's so important to what we do each and every day. And, and, you know, that's how the regulations go in the hunting handbook. You you know the hunting handbook, but where did that regulation come from? I think is kind of where you have that next level understanding. And, you know, I think this is just absolutely awesome from, from my perspective.
1: Well, and I think that same thing holds true for the public. I mean, oftentimes when there's a new regulation or a new restriction or whatever it might be, a new season date or structure, I think there's oftentimes the misconception that the department just went and made that change, right? Right. And for those that don't follow the commission process, it's good to understand that every one of those types of changes goes through that public input process and it's decided by the commission, not the department we don't have that authority to do that. The commission was granted that authority by the legislature. Right. And so all those things that we change from seasons, regulations, to camping, to whatever it might be, all goes through the commission. So they're so important to every little thing that we do. Um, and it's great to have that process available. Yeah. And one thing too that stood out to me,
2: because you know I was an SDSU student too, and I was, okay, so, fisheries management, we changed this regulation, right? And that's, that's what we put in place. But one thing that really stood out from this time that we start talking about it internally to the time it actually becomes a rule in the
1: respective handbooks. How, how long a time period are we, are we talking here? Yeah. It's, some of those things take quite some time. I mean, there are certain things that could take over a year because just yeah. the process of doing the public input, bringing stakeholder groups together or having those conversations. <laughs> And sometimes we bring it to the commission and we might take that out two, three different commission meetings before a final decision is rendered. Um, Great example go back to when we modified the deer drawing structure back in 2019. You know, that was over a year process before it was finalized and then went into implementation stage. Now, there's other things that you bring to a commission meeting at one month and they make a final decision the following month. So it just kind of varies depending on what piece of information or topic you're working on. But yeah, it can be a very long process. But, um, and it is a process because there's certain requirements we have to follow from a statute standpoint. um, And from public notices to the commission does their work. And then when the commission makes their decisions, then we as an agency take the handoff, if I may, then we go and visit with a subcommittee of the legislature, Interim Rules, to make sure that we follow the necessary processes. Right. And once they approve it, then we go and file it with the Secretary of State's office. Has to be out there for a certain amount of time before it actually is fully implemented. So there's a lot of steps to yeah. the process cool. of changing regulations and different things like that. Yeah,
0: it, It's it's certainly interesting, and, and I think I've missed four in 16 years, four commission meetings in 16 years, and when i i'm not there i feel like okay now i'm a little lost i have to go back yeah. and, mm-hmm. and and for me like when when previous secretary hepler came on and and wanted to do zoom and a lot of it was because of the COVID stuff yep. it it's we're doing we're doing a lot and it's some some of the stuff that we do it's sort of a hybrid meeting so there's no real system on how to do it but we make it work and for me, that Zoom, I we always we always knew the idea was we need to get the public more involved and yeah. make sure we're accessible. But for me, if you look at those Zoom meetings, and especially that first few hours of the meeting, it's amazing how many of our employees are clicking in, yeah, watching, listening, <coughs> maybe coming and going, you know, as they're working. But I, I think a lot of them, a majority of them get that, okay, I want to hear, especially if it pertains to you, you know, yeah. I'm a... CO or I'm a wildlife damage person and and we're talking specifically about something that's going to affect me. I want to know what their thought process is so when the public comes and asks me, you know, the game warden in Gregory County, why did you change X? Right. It's not just, wow, you know, that's what they decided. It's there there's a little bit of background behind it. But yeah. it is amazing about, you know, we talk a lot about the, you know, uh deputy Secretary Simpson and I drove back, and we were talking about how how it's kind of changed to where you know it's it's not just this process that was out there and and you know we don't really you know okay now we're moving forward. There's this background behind it you can go and look at it right yeah. and go oh okay and and to see our staff coming in coming going participating you know listening. And then you know, even a lot of them, you know, we we track all the recordings are tracked by by uh, by subject, and to go back and look at how many people are listening to those in the back end of it. And I refer when I get calls or I get emails and people are saying, "Why did you do this?" The first thing I do is go watch this part of the meeting or listen to it, and at least here's the thought process behind it, right? Yeah. So it's changed. We used to have the roadshow. You know, we used to have fifty staff there. And now we probably, instead of having 50 staff there, we've got 50 of them listening to public radio, the portion of it on SDNet, but we also have another 50 to sometimes 100. I would guess to this this meeting on Thursday, we had 100 of our staff, you know, at least they're in working, they've got a ear yep. earpod in, and they're listening to the conversations. Well, I think the the
1: approach that we take now of doing the virtual or remote whether it's staff or the public to participate in the commission meeting is a wonderful thing be, as you mentioned, we used to bring a lot of staff into commission meetings, whether they were giving presentations or we wanted them there to help answer questions that the commission or the public might have, um, what this has done though is probably twofold. Number one, it's given more opportunities for staff of the department to listen in and be part of that commission process but they don't have to utilize that time, the mileage, the right. you know, the traveling, and the expenditures that come with it. And they can be much more efficient doing other things mm-hmm. that they have to do as well. Um, but then secondly is just the more opportunity for them to listen to the public that chimes in as well. And this gives the opportunity for somebody that's really interested in a topic, like this last commission meeting, we're in Watertown, but somebody in the Black Hills might have a real interest in a topic. and. They simply don't have the ability to spend a full day or a day and a half to go across the state to be part of that process. This now offers that. And so I think there's a lot of value that comes with that. It's sometimes a challenge, right? And it can be difficult depending on the location, but um, I think, especially from our staff standpoint, this has been a a slam dunk. And it really gives them the opportunity to be part of the process, listen to it, And like you said, especially if it's part of their discipline or something of high interest that they work on, they can hear firsthand what the public's saying also. Right. And then they can hear firsthand what the commissioners are asking, thinking, and where they want to go. And so I think it just helps the
0: process overall. Now it's created extra ulcers for me every time we have to go somewhere. <laughs> <The> last <laughs> but, meeting was a little gosh, stressful, gosh, wasn't I it? <laughs> I hope it works. Come on, yeah. I hope it works. SDPB did an awesome job. we got to throw
2: them a shout out really, for that one, too. They yeah. they were a huge help this last meeting, no doubt.
0: So, uh, get into the meeting. Um, when I'm skipping around, Tommy, and this is yeah. a little bit of a curveball. The open forum is four years old, maybe? Probably a little bit more than that. Is it? Yeah, I, I, I think we've had open before forum. Before you came it along. It was before so, I came right? along. Yeah. I'm on five years now. Almost. And the open forum thing was a, a big, you know, I think we were all a little bit nervous about that when, yep. when that came up. And it, yeah, it was Vonk. So, yeah, it was yep. probably six, seven years ago maybe. And, yep. and uh, Secretary Vonk, previous secretary. And that's just a chance for folks to, they could get to talk about whatever they want. Now, it's kind of evolved into primarily they're discussing uh members of the public want to discuss things that were just newly proposed we haven't right. even really addressed yet so we can get into that but talk about from your perspective that open forum thing and how it's maybe even changed a little bit on how we do business yeah
1: you know you're exactly right go back in time there's always been the uh the public hearing portion of the commission meeting which is a requirement if the commission's going to be doing some finalization of some actions of administrative rule because we would have actually published an actual official public notice notifying the public of their actions that they're considering but there was oftentimes people then that would chime in during the public hearing that wanted to say something about something completely different you know something that's impacting them at a local level uh, whatever it might be and so that's where that open forum was added to the Commission agenda And again, you're spot on the The whole purpose of it is to provide the public the chance to come talk to the commission about a topic other than what the public hearing is specifically set up to hear about those finalizations of action items. So, and it's, and it's been very advantageous. I mean, folks will come in and talk about something that may not have even been on our radar right? Mm -hmm. or a topic that's been on our radar, but we haven't heard a lot about, or, you know, it gives an opportunity for somebody. Sometimes they come in and vent a little bit. Right. Sometimes they bring up a whole new concept that is like, great idea. Let, let's go talk about that. Let's have some further discussion. So it's been a great addition to the commission meeting. It, it's always a little maybe uneasy because yeah, you're not exactly right. <laughs> sure what is coming. Right. Um, but typically the people that do attend in person at a commission meeting that want to speak during the open forum, usually they contact us prior or we'll visit with them right before the meeting starts and have a good understanding of what they're there for and what they wanna talk about. And it usually ensues then to some further conversation and discussion.
2: And and, you know, I was gonna say that exact same thing. I'm fortunate to kinda see the the front end, the back end, every part of the commission meetings. And you know, those folks that come in, I can't think of, I would say more often than not, we have a staff member talking to them before, after. I mean, it is truly you know, as in terms of customer service they we 're going to hear exactly what they 're looking for more so in depth than the three minutes they have on the mic but so right. and I, I think we 've helped just a lot of folks that maybe didn 't even know some of the services we offered, even know their local staff. I think that's been a huge addition from from what i 've seen just around the meeting too yeah, when
1: you look at the commission agenda, one part of our agenda every month are information items, right sometimes there have been scenarios where somebody will come during the public or excuse me the open forum. <laughs> And mention a topic which then ensues our conversation which mm-hmm. leads to that's a really good topic we should inform the commission more about in right. the yeah. public and it ends up being an information item for example so right yeah it's it's a very I would say a real additive to the commission agenda and the commission right. meetings and to hear
0: and it's a great opportunity for us to hear from our our users and the public as well right and like you said you know it might be a one-off thing that yeah. You know, it might not seem like a big big deal to us, but it's certainly a big deal to them, and it's a way to for them to get in the door and go. Okay, this is the problem I have. I've been trying to fix it, can't get it fixed necessarily. Who's the right person I need to talk to? And ninety nine percent of the time, that person's either in the room or it's okay after the open forum. When we take a break, let's talk, and we'll get you the right yep. the right direction, the exact right person to talk to and we're gonna get this, we're gonna have this conversation. We might not get the problem fixed in your eyes, but we're certainly gonna address it and make sure that we're providing that customer service.
1: I think maybe one of the greatest examples from the pub or the open forum really goes back about a year when we were in Watertown. And you remember the two gentlemen from the Watertown area came and talked to the commission oh, about right. the gentleman that has a disability. Right. And was looking for a way to get assistance to go paddle fishing. And it was a great story. It was a great concept. We went back, looked at it. We made and brought forward some administrative rule changes to the commission. They liked it, passed it. The gentleman drew a tag and had the opportunity to go paddle fishing this year and have that assistance. So it, that's an example where it actually changed. Some rules regulations that provided more opportunity for people, so sure. And if I
2: recall, he sent that picture to every commissioner, every staff, and that was
1: one of the highlights of the month
2: for a lot of us. It it was a really neat story, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. cool. All right, well, let's get into some of the proposals. Uh, parks had a free park entrance fishing proposal. I won't make you talk in extensive or you know, in depth in that, but essentially, kind of maybe doing away with a couple of those pre free park entrance fishing days, I think Mother's Day, Father's Day were the two yeah. that we started that a couple years ago, and cool. seeing a little bit of results from that, but that's going to go down the line. There'll be an interesting discussion, I think, next month on that a little further, and yeah. I'm sure we'll hear hear from the public on that one a little bit. Yeah. Um, but let's get into the non-resident one-day fishing license, Tommy, What on that proposal. What's what's the thought there? And,
1: yeah, it's Interesting topic, right? And there's a lot of a lot of moving parts and pieces to this one as well. When you look at the different fishing license options, if I may, between residents, non-residents. On the non-resident side, we have a one-day, a three-day, and an annual fishing license option. Um, looking at those, and, and it's interesting because this particular item has been a conversation before. When you mm-hmm. look at different license options that are offered out there. Um, you know i know a lot of folks don't always want to hear it but from the standpoint of looking at licenses and license sales you know there's a business side of the agency as well and when we look at license revenue and that's an item that we talk to the commission about each and every meeting um, those revenues and those sales are so important because that gives us the ability and the resources to provide the opportunities, whether it's a dock, whether it's a pier, whether it's our fish production through our hatcheries, whether it's whatever it might be, right, the, the resources and the opportunities that we can provide to the public are a direct result of the resources that come in from license sales. Right. right. And so we've, we've looked hard at those different things and looking at the other big part of the projects that we do to provide more opportunity also includes the revenue generated from habitat stamp um, and in this particular item, in this conversation, the one-day uh, non-resident, what we have seen is a pretty good climb in the number of those licensed sold over the last three years. It really stems from the time period of when COVID started, but also at the time when the habitat stamp was implemented. One of those um, stipulations with the habitat stamp is that one-day licenses, whether it's hunting or fishing, do not require the habitat stamp. Um, and when we talk about opportunities that we're providing to hunters and anglers, Habitat Stamp has done tremendous amount, excuse me, the last two, three years of projects that we have completed. So a lot of moving parts of this. So what we did do is analysis of those different license options available to non-resident anglers. And the concept that we brought forward to the commission was what we would recommend moving forward is to not provide that option of the one day, uh, still continue to provide the three-day or the annual license, which there's a lot of folks that take advantage of those two options as well, um, and to move forward from that standpoint. So like normal, we bring that forward to the commission, they have their conversation, they'll put it out there for public input, and then they'll make a final determination at the October commission meeting. Um, And so that's where we're at with that one right now. And, And you know, Tom, as someone that goes to other states to fish
2: too, I think one thing that I think about as a customer standpoint, and who knows this, I'm a very check-the-box guy, buy my license, call it good. So, I mean, if there are folks that are buying multiple one-day licenses, you know, from my standpoint, it's it's easier to make sure that if you want to just go fish or you want to fish an extra Sunday morning because the weather looks nice before you take off, that annual license or, or three-day license, regardless how you have your trip planned, that's just easier for you to know. You have your yeah. license, you're good to go, too. So. As someone that, again, kind of listens to these conversations, those are some of the thoughts I had. Just, you know, I go down to Nebraska to fish. The first thing I do is buy my annual license, and then I know, well, if I just go down and see my family and the kids want to run over to two rivers and fish, I don't have to think anything about, yeah. you know, about having a license. Yeah. So that's just one thing from my thought as a customer standpoint, too, that, that has benefits for them
1: as well. Yeah, and that was certainly some of the questions and conversations the commission had also. I mean, they even ask the question, you know, how many folks, you know, if the one day was gone, would they do the three day or the annual? And that that's hard to, hard to know right now, you know, uh, certainly there's a lot of folks that come for multiple days of fishing, not just one day. Um, there would be folks that would probably entertain either the three day or the annual, we know there's a lot of folks that have purchased multiple one day fishing licenses, right? So are they coming back? One day at a time, multiple different times, or during a one week, did they happen to buy three of them right, you know just cool. not knowing how their schedule played out and stuff so there there would be some things to look at and, and make some assessments from an individual standpoint. Um, one thing we do know though, whether you're talking hunting, fishing, anytime you're making a trip to go to do recreation, quite honestly, the license is probably yeah. the <laughs> least expensive part just all say <laughs> I mean, and we understand that you know you have to take all those things into consideration when you go do some type of trip, right? Related to the outdoors. But, you know, fortunately the license part Mm -hmm. typically right now is the least expensive thing. It's your lodging, it's your transportation, it's your food and all those things. And while we certainly want to keep the license fees and costs reasonable so that anyone that is interested in participating can still do so, right? um, This particular approach would not be a fee increase. It would just be Taking that one license
0: option away right and I would guess that we'll we've probably already started getting comments and also to the folks that are listening you know it's easy to make those official comments on record if you email Nick or I or you put something on our Facebook page that's not an official commission comment if you go to our website literally type in public comments in the search button first option comes up and there's a form there you got to put your name and where you're from and then that official comment goes in, and the commissioners read them. I mean, yep. they they spend a lot of time. I think they read through over seven hundred comments on the Mountain Lion, and right. you know three hundred plus on, if not more, on on the the Custer State Park Airport thing, and and any of those proposals that we have. I mean, it's pretty rare that we have no comments, you know, yep. official comments that are written in, and we used to read them. At which yeah. means Chuck <laughs> Schluter used to sit and read them, and then if we had a lot of them, he would read just a few, but we'd have, they'd print them out and our commission books look like a Encyclopedia Britannica, you yeah. know, <laughs> Webster's dictionary. Um, right. but they do read them and they take them into account. And, and, uh, so if you want to comment officially, just go to the website, type in public comment and it comes that, up. So. It's a really good point,
1: Chris. And you know, I think one thing that's important to share with the public and those people that do provide public comments and the commission has said it before as well, but it is not a vote. Right. right. It's not you a popularity mean, just contest. Be, right. Just because there's topic X being talked about and you receive a hundred comments and there's fifty five that say this and forty five that say this, right. you know, the the commission's role is to take all that public comment, take it all into consideration of what's in front of them, and ultimately render a decision that they believe is the best approach moving forward for that particular topic, for the resource, for the opportunities of the users out
0: there, you know, residents of the state, visitors that are coming here, they take all those things into consideration. Right. And it it is interesting that the makeup of those commissions, and and it's obviously changed, but, you know, you have eight people, and they're all from different backgrounds. I mean, they would, it would make a TV show, you know, the casting of Right. How the different they all are, and how different they all look at things. I mean, right. You know, and I'll pick on Commissioner Wristler, Chairperson Wristler. You know, coming, uh, she's been on twice with us, and and you know, she's she's got a certain background in in you know uh, media and and journalism, and from southeast South Dakota, and then compare her to how she looks at things to say Commissioner Beast or Commissioner Springs or any of them. They all, they're all different. They're just like right. the three of us sitting in a room and they're looking at things different ways. And when they have those discussions and you just got I'll sit and listen and almost like soak it all in and go, wow, you know, they we're all South Dakotans and we're all very vested in, in what we're doing in the outdoors, but they're all looking at it, coming at it from very personal but also very different, different ways. And they take it to heart too. <clears throat> right. They have a lot of
1: passion for it. They have a high interest in it. Um, do they as a collective group always agree on every single no. thing they don't either there's some different beliefs some different philosophies but I think that's what makes the process really good and strong right. and um, and sometimes they make decisions that aren't popular either right and and again that's not an easy job for them they're trying to balance multiple things and multiple considerations and they do a fantastic job and it's not an easy job either right
0: no. and uh, but one that they take a lot of pride in as well mm-hmm um so let's go into the the next proposal uh the hunt yeah. for habitat i think uh all of us have been heavily involved in in this and and yeah. uh nick is i know a lot of blood sweat and tears but you know the hunt for habitat folks that are out there literally a raffle for some very coveted big game tags yeah um Looking to give that maybe a little facelift or just a little change, freshen things up. Talk about yeah. that thought process there. Yeah, about.
1: so Hunt for Habitat, we've done it five years now. Yep, five yeah. years. Five Starting years in and started out really strong. And it still has done well, but the primary impetus behind it is to raise dollars to do more habitat and access projects. And we really focus on our game production areas, public lands, access opportunities, So the dollars that have been raised by this raffle have done phenomenal projects out there for our hunters and anglers. Um, What we do notice, and whether it's Hunt for Habitat or I know all three of us have been engaged and involved with other NGOs and nonprofits and fundraising efforts, there always seems to come a time where things are working well, but they seem to get a little stale or it's time to refreshen or take a little bit different approach. And so that's the conversation we had internally about hunt for habitat. The key to the hunt for habitat is we went to the legislature uh, to, to obtain the ability and the authority to run this raffle. And in statute, it talks about the fact that we can use up to 10 big game licenses. It doesn't specify which big game licenses they have to be there are a specific minimum or maximum number of any kind just says 10 big game. And so the original, we had four packages. One was a a bison hunt and then there were three packages that each included an elk and any deer and an antelope tag in there. Um, and of those three, three, three tag packages gets a little complicated. (laughs) A maximum of one could go to a non-resident winner. Right. Um, so what we did is looked at all that, we know there's a high desire for elk tags. We know there's a high desire for deer tags. The bison hunt has been very popular as well. Um, Antelope, while that's a very fun and enjoyable hunt, it probably doesn't carry quite the nostalgic weight that the deer and elk tags carry. So we're going to, what we did is we proposed to the commission to adjust that a little bit and go from those four packages to now have a bison hunt have two single tag deer hunts and then have three packages that would have two tags to them an elk and a deer and so instead of having four available packages if I may we would have six total available packages and but but just trying to change it up a little bit and see if that gives well obviously it'll give more opportunity uh, we'll have two additional winners there. and um but for individuals, they would could really go and put them in for all of them, or maybe they just have the desire to go after a single-tag deer hunt, right? And that's what they're going to go after. So, right. and, and, you know, Ho alluded to this. I've been, I've been able to work on this since
2: it started in 2019, and I've done a lot of research at what other states, do because this is yeah. the, the, there's a variety of these licenses or packages out there for other states, and, and I think what we've done now has really made us kind of, one of the, it's pr- one of the premier packages now of all of these, just because, like you said, there's more opportunities, there's more winners, there are those highly coveted licenses too. So I think what we're doing here, I, I, I just think it's kind of taking what we what we started and just kind of taking it to the next level too. And, and I'm excited
1: for that. Yeah. And you mentioned other states doing some similar type approach to this, and we've looked at multiple of those already. And so we'll look at these packages and see, are there components to it that we can even make it more attractive, mm-hmm. right? And see if uh, uh, that draws even more attention. Again, though, our bottom line is, we wanna provide these unique opportunities, but our other goal of it is to raise those funds to do habitat and access projects. That is our number one priority within the division.
0: Right, and it, you know, I, I think it, it was surprising to me because when, when this, when we first started talking about this and maybe making some of these changes, I started calling some of my friends from who hunt but who aren't from South Dakota. And for a lot of them and probably a vast majority of them, they're more interested in coming and shooting mule deer than they are an elk. Yeah. I think elk is pretty daunting, especially for somebody who's maybe not a you know, a diehard, you know, boss man, Kevin Roebling, I'm going elk hunting, you know, I'm diehard. Where that mule deer We take them for granted a little bit because we have them, especially in pier and western South Dakota. They're in our backyard. I could drive you to pier right now in town and show you a couple of dandy mule deer. He's going to because I got a Stanley (laughs) County tag. (laughs) But so we take them for granted a little bit. And and that mule deer opportunity across the western states, I think, Tommy, is is decreasing, you know. Um, But we take them for granted a little bit. And and my friends are like, I'm way more apt to put in for that mule deer tag. Yeah because that's what I want to go after, you know, and, and that's what I want, you know, someday I want yeah. that chance. Um, so, and it's always good, especially for like on the marketing side to, to freshen things up. You're providing more winners, more opportunities, but it's also a way to get a, a, a kind of an initial big push going, oh wait, yeah. what are they doing? Oh, hey, look at that. There's more options here, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's always a good thing, I think. And, and like you said, by statute, we can. Uh, there's only 10, so by doing this, it's kind of moving things around, and while I think all of us would love to go shoot an antelope, it's not on the same level as, as a yeah. mule deer hunt or any deer tag hunt, and certainly an elk and
1: I would fully anticipate, w- while we use any deer tags for those packages and the individual packages, mule deer is going to be right. a primary Focus right. yeah. of individuals right. obtaining right. those licenses. I, not to say that somebody may not right. come Assets. across right, right. A, <laughs> a beautiful, you know, white-tailed deer out there, but I would say the odds are they're gonna
0: try to take advantage of right. that opportunity to go on a mule deer
1: hunt. Right. Yep.
0: Cool. Um okay, the last uh proposal for this meeting and, and really the big one is the mountain lion season proposal. Yeah. And this was the second reading and and Typically, when we when we do these and, and it's a second reading, there isn't much action. It's usually just kind of a reading and a little bit of discussion. But this this meeting certainly was not that.
1: It was action packed. Yes, <laughs> so let's go back just a little bit on the mountain lion season proposal and and why there was a second reading. Right. So if we go back um, where this originated from. Were actually petitions submitted to the commission. Mm-hmm. And for those that haven't been watching or have ever participated in the petition process, there is the ability for any individual from the public to petition the commission, to change a rule. And when we say change a rule, that could be change how a season structure set up to changing the date of a hunting fishing season to whatever it might be, right? I mean, go from A to Z here. So in this particular case, when we brought forward the mountain lion season um, recommendation period to the commission as an agency, we originally and initially brought forward a no recommended change to the mountain lion season. Leave the current structure as it is for the next hunting season. At the same time, we had a couple of individuals that are very active within the South Dakota Houndsmen Association. Um, brought a couple of petitions asking for the commission to consider uh, additional opportunity for the use of hounds during the mountain lion season. So again, for the individuals that are not mountain lion hunters or do not fully um, understand the mountain lion season structure within the Black Hills Fire Protection District or the Black Hills proper, if I may, the use of hounds for hunting mountain lions is not allowed. We do utilize and allow uh, 15 opportunities within Custer State Park. You obtain your mountain lion license and then you put in for an access permit to use hounds there. And then outside the Black Hills, out on the prairie, you can use hounds to hunt mountain lions. So the petitions brought forward the concept of adding more opportunity for the use of hounds in the Black Hills and The commission, after hearing those petitions and some additional input from some other folks, believed it was appropriate, necessary to get more input and the consideration of the use of hounds. In fact, we had a couple of commissioners that even said, you know what, I believe individually, personally, that we should allow additional opportunity for the use of hounds within the mountain lion season in the Black Hills. So the commission did accept a petition that was brought forward which specifically asked for the ability to harvest 12 mountain lions, six male, six female, with the use of hounds within the Black Hills. Now that would have been on top of the use of hounds in Custer State Park. And that harvest of those 12 would have been included within the limitations of the harvest limit set for the mountain lion season of either a total of 60 mountain lions or 40 female mountain lions, or if the Mountline line season would stop by the end date of the end of April. So that went out as the public notice because the commission did accept that petition. That became their proposal at that point in right. time. And so hence the meeting at Watertown would have been the second reading then of this proposal with the concept of a finalization of the mount line season at their October meeting in Deadwood coming up. So that's where, as we've mentioned already, over 700 public comments came in, a lot of discussion around it. Um, a lot of internal discussion from agency staff to a lot of input from the public, um, the commission, as you said, had a lot of study time because there was a lot of comments, both in opposition and support for the concept of hounds. And even included in those conversations though, were. So what they had as a proposal, what they accepted from the petition, is that the right structure or should there be something else considered? And they got several comments about maybe it should be this, maybe it should right. be that.
0: Tweaking. Tweaking adjustments, tweak <laughs> yes. a little bit. Because
1: <laughs> um, everybody has their opinion right. and their thoughts and perspectives on it. And um, so that's what ensued. So at the commission meeting, there was a lot of conversation about it. And the commissioners talked about the proposal in front of them. Uh, as a department, we had our internal conversations about it as well. And we did come back at the commission meeting and said our first recommendation to the proposal you have in front of you to adding additional hound use would still be no recommended change to the season. And that would be not including this, but the structure that we currently have in place, our primary reasons for providing that recommendation was twofold. Number one, when we look at the harvest over the last couple of years, especially on the female portion of it, um, what we are seeing is we're getting to that point where the number of female lines being harvested, that population is going to the bottom end or the lower end of our current population objective set within our mountain lion management plan. And then looking at that, knowing the success of hunters with the use of hounds, our assumption was that it would have pushed that even farther. And so that's why we brought that forward to the commission from the standpoint, basically stating knowing that information, knowing that level of impact to the population itself and primarily looking at the fact that we have a population objective that we are falling within right now. Our recommendation was no change. However, if that is the desire of the commission and the public to lower that population objective, we don't have a quorum about that, but we want to know what that is before we go right. beyond that. And so our recommended change of no change is what we provided to the commission, had that conversation with them, shared additional information, and we have a PowerPoint that will be available on our website. People can see that that data and the hearing of it. Andrew Norton provided some of that background information. Um, so the conversation ensued and it went back and forth with the commission. And there's still a few commissioners that would like to see the use of hounds incorporated into the mountain lion season. Um, but they're also said that they don't believe that it necessarily has to be just open the door wide open to the use of hounds as well. And so ultimately the commission decided to table or reject this proposal, but they did give us direction as an agency over the next year, get the stakeholder group back together, talk about some options, talk about what would that look like, not only from the season structure, but also the population objective. And there are some people out there that would like to see mountain lion numbers less. They have concerns of deer populations, potential impact on elk, whatever the reasons might be. Um, There are other individuals that would like to see more mountain lions. Um, And even within that gamut of philosophies and opinions there's differences amongst mountain lion hunters as well right mm-hmm. We have folks that love the current structure and it's meeting the population objective it provides all kinds of opportunity and there are others that would like to see it different. So a lot of opinions on that and that's why there was such a lengthy conversation on this this was a not an easy to conversation no. pretty intense one at moments um, but ultimately the commission said, you know what we believe that at this moment, we should table this proposal. And direct the agency to go back and have some more conversations. But there is an expectation that we bring something a year from now to the Commission.
2: And and you know Tom, I think the biggest thing to me is this is this kind of ties back into what we started talking about, that these things don't happen overnight. This is, yeah. we're going to be a year and a half, two years into these change to make sure that, that or if there is a change, to make sure we get it right. This, this conversation like you alluded to is far from over because of this proposal was rejected in its
1: current form at this current moment. And I think you you bring up a great point, Nick, because a couple of commissioners even said they believe that there is the ability to incorporate the use of hounds. They believe that there should be some adjustments, but they want to do it right. Right. And So doing it right doesn't mean we quick rush into it, but it also means we're not going to sit on this for two or three years also. So it's finding that good middle ground. Um, so we have our direction, what we need to do and what we need to work on. We will go do that and then we'll bring recommendations basically a year from now or a little less than a year from now to the commission again.
0: Yeah. And for me, it's interesting it you know, we're, and we're going to talk about, you know, we have these management plans, right? Mm-hmm. And this this commission and, you know, they're all different, but there was it was interesting to see how they all were talking about how does this fit into the current management, you know, our management plan, the actual plan that we have that your staff and you've, you know, sweated over and and put together. And, well, it it doesn't necessarily fit into it. Okay, then when's the management plan coming up due? Well, it's going to be 2024. No, we got to expedite this. Can we expedite it? Absolutely. Okay, let's go sit down and have the discussions and fit it into this so we're not just throwing out Something and going, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, it doesn't fit in with the management plan, but, you know, in two years, maybe we can make it fit in. No, let's do it now. Let's do it the right way yeah. and, and make it so it's it's all the work that's being done and has been done. How does that fit in there? Yeah, you can't get it for this year, but maybe we can come forward after putting the management plan together, sitting down with the stakeholder groups. And, you know, I would say that Lions you you put it you know there's people who want more there're people who want less but even in those two groups they don't all dis, they don't all agree and it's a right. soup to nuts thing and it's to try to get kind of a a, a standard or or something that's going to make everybody happy is impossible right but how do we make it work for objectives like actual objectives that we're trying to manage for how do we fit it into there and make sure that everybody kind of walks away going okay you know that that's a good yeah. compromise and it fits in to the the management plan that factors in everything right well and you bring up the great
1: point because you mentioned stakeholders again as part of a management plan a management plan isn't just some document that our staff write up and this is the way it is right those those key objectives and in this particular conversation mountain lion population objective is a key point to the whole management plan because the strategy of a hunting season Is focused on how do you achieve the population objective and there are things you can do to really alter what that may or may not look like and that's where this whole conversation Mm -hmm. went down and so as we go through this process are we gonna have everybody agree on it no absolutely not (laughs) Um, (laughs) is there gonna have to be some level of maybe give and take and compromise and going okay that makes sense and I'm not really agreement on this but i can understand it as well and but that's held true when we put together the first elk management plan and deer management plans and all those things but so it will be a very good process Um, again i think it emphasizes the work that our commission does because they're going to be and we will have a commissioner to sit in on that stakeholder group so they can hear firsthand all the different sides of of this topic and the work that they do then of going back and number one approve a final plan that's put together approve of the population objective the hunting season the structure what does it all look like it is not an easy job for those folks to take into all those considerations and try to come up with something that provides for everybody but also has certain things in mind and again the resource itself the opportunities it provides and Does it make sense? And so they have a tough job ahead of them. Um, While the job of bringing all the stakeholders together and getting all the input and putting a document is a job and a task, I would offer up what the commission's going to decide is even a more difficult job and task than what we will do internally working with our stakeholders. Right. And and I I mean, I don't want to belabor this
2: point too much, but I, I think something... You know, we think about deer, and I think we all want hunters out taking trophy caliber white and mule deer every year, right? I think that's maybe the one thing we can all agree on. We all want to go catch limits of 18-inch walleye, or maybe bass for you guys, but you know yeah. what I mean. Bluegills. Bluegills. <laughs> bass and bluegills. I know you guys. I'm outnumbered here. This is like the second time I've been outnumbered on these podcasts. Um, but you know, it, it, to me, from my perspective, lion's just such an interesting topic because you know, there are so many different perspectives on, on what those populations should be and, and things don't happen in a vacuum too. And maybe that just comes with the management of a apex predator, like we have in mountain lions too, that makes a unique situation. But, you know, like I said, I think, I think we'd all want to see more pheasants. We all want to see more deer. We all want to see more walleyes, but you know, where is that sweet spot with lions and, and finding
1: that, it, that's a, that's a difficult, that's a difficult topic. Well, and the other thing with mountain lions, cause it is such a unique Animal is that it's not like you can go out in the Black Hills and drive around and see them like there's there's one. (laughs) one. I mean, not brood of them. (laughs) I mean, if you were happen to be out in the hills or somewhere and happen to see one, that's a rare incident happening, right? I mean, it's different than when you're out there hunting or you know doing those things, but you're out there camping. You're out there just driving through the Black Hills and looking at the great colors in the fall, right? The odds of seeing a mountain lion are about slim to none.
0: Yeah. I've I've and seen a, two and one of them had a collar on it and we were trying to find it with right. with the telemetry and it still took three hours of, you know, yeah. walking around yeah. trying to find so it. So it it it's a unique
1: animal in its own mm-hmm. way, right? And there's a lot of uniqueness to it and and that's some of what brings some of those very heartfelt and very passionate For sure. um, mm-hmm. concerns or support or opposition or whatever it might be when it comes to it. So uh, it's a fun animal to work with. It's a, a unique opportunity from a hunting perspective. It's a neat animal part of the ecosystem. And there's just a lot of different beliefs and philosophies right. when it comes around it. It is a predator right? and a very effective predator, right? right. It. it it knows how to hunt. Right. Um, and for some people that's a real issue because a bigger passion to them is the number of deer that are right. out there, or the number yep. of elk that are out exactly. there, the number of whatever else is out there. Um and for
0: others, it's different. That's not their number one objective or main philosophy. Right. So And it you know, that it has been interesting and we'll, we'll get off mountain Lines here soon, boss, I promise. But <laughs> you know, I was fairly new with the department when when the whole mountain lion issue and hunting mountain lions yeah. came up. And I, I remember clearly then Governor Rounds saying to our staff, if we're going to do this, you guys are going to do your homework. Yeah. You know, we're going to have numbers. We're going to have, you know, we're going to make sure our ducks are in a row. And I think at one point uh, I know that that mountain lion population of Black Hills was the most studied population of anything in North America because it is sort of, you know it's sort of out there on its own and we our crews were out there looking and collaring and i i mean it was the most studied wall you know wildlife population in north america
1: we had times where we had three ongoing research
0: projects right. related to
1: mountain lions at one time 50 collars on critters maybe there, even more than know. that yeah yeah it's and um we learned a bunch about them during that time frame you think back 2005 2005, if I remember right, was the first mountain lion hunting season, at yep. least in recent times. And we were talking about a couple of animals was the harvest limit, right? And right. now, I mean, it kept, and we, we kind of hit that perfect paradigm where mountain lion numbers were on the increase and there was a lot of prey out there from deer and elk and they were doing extremely well. And, and, uh, and then we hit that plateau and you know, there was a time when elk numbers were extremely high and there was a lot of mm-hmm. conversations going on about too many elk and depredation and there was a management strategy to really lower the numbers and that was at a time when mountain lion numbers were probably at some of their highest numbers and there was just like a lot of perfect storms happening at one time. And so the conversations got really elevated and a lot of information was gathered, but I'm I'm very thankful of the efforts that we put into gathering the biological information, the radio telemetry studies that we did on them because it helped us generate those plans, those population objectives, mm-hmm. things that we needed to have to formulate those things. Right. And there may come a time where we have to go back and gather up new information and right. do some of those studies, whether it's repeat or some alteration of them, but
0: right. time will tell. And I, and I think, and we will get off my lines, but, you know, looking back a lot of those studies those results were were eye-opening across the mountain lion range it was yeah. oh man these these cats have a lot lot smaller range like these these big males have smaller ranges because it was kind of a given that they had these giant ranges and they didn't overlap where a lot of our studies and, and our folks were showing oh these are smaller and they do overlap yeah. a little bit and look at all these radio telemetry and they're standing at the Black Hills for days and all of a sudden they're gone you know and they end up in Oklahoma or wherever you know and so it was it was eye-opening stuff for a lot of a lot of big-game biologists. Really really great points Chris and you know the other thing that
1: we learned from that is we glean information from other states that manage similar species Mm -hmm. that we do in mountain Line in this case but what we also learn quickly is just because something happens like this in this geographic area state doesn't necessarily mean it's exactly the same over here now you can use a lot of it in your management approach and study approaches and all that but it's not always going to be perfect apples to apples and you do have to do your own homework if i may right so you can
0: fine tune it to your specific location or area Right. yeah well it's going to be interesting going forward and i know it will uh you know the expedited you know putting that new New deadline on the mom line management yeah. plan. I know you, you and your crew got a lot of work to do, but they're, they're starting already yeah. as we speak and, um, but it, it'll be a good process. It'll be a very
1: open one. Again, we'll pull together a stakeholder group, get the input, um, what that looks like for sure. Right now, I don't not hundred percent positive and the number and makeup and all that, but we will have a cross section a diversity of folks included in that. And then there's always that commission process that it's going to be available to mm-hmm. the public. So Folks that aren't personally or intimately involved with the stakeholder group still have the opportunity
0: to talk to the commission about it. All right. Cool. More to come. More to come. <laughs> uh, moving down the list, we had six petitions. Um, petition process, all these petitions kind of in one way or the other kind of tied to the mountain yep. Lion season. So they were ultimately all rejected. But talk about that petition process a little bit, Tommy. We, we've talked about it with Ristler uh Commissioner Ristler a couple times, but but that petition process kind of came along about the same time as the open forum stuff. And it's just a a way for folks to try to move the needle.
1: So I think really when you think of the petitions in the open forum, it's an end result of the fact of the recognition that what we all do on a day-to-day basis here at Game Fish and Parks is so meaningful and impactful to so many people in the state and those that come to visit here because what we deal with are their hobbies and their passions, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's not the same as another state agency, for example, you know, DOT that has to, the responsibility of working on the roads. And yeah, people will complain about roads and talk about roads and those things. But when we talk about the stuff in game fishing parks, whether it's hunting, fishing, camping, all those things, we're really talking about people's passions and hobbies. And so getting input from folks on it is really important. And we oftentimes talked about ways, how how do we get their input? And that's where that open forum kind of gave another venue for people. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we get people that submit emails to us through our wildlife info and social media, we get some input and stuff, but this is one of those real mechanisms where people can provide really defined items that they want to talk about or learn more about. And so the petition process is available to all state agencies, right? State government, but there's no agency that receives petitions like we do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, it goes back, I think, to that passion about the things that we work with and work on and, and provide to our users. So the petition is a way, a more formal way if somebody wants the commission to consider a change to rules, regulations, seasons, camping, whatever it might be, um, to formally come to the, pet- the commission and say, I would like this change and here's the reason why. And it gives them the opportunity to share their idea with the commission. Um, a lot of petitions that come forward to the petition do not move on. Uh, there certainly have been ones that do. Uh, the commission takes them all into consideration and in weighs the pros, the cons, the good, the bad. Um, why does this make sense? Why does it not? Whatever it might be, before they render that decision. So, a petition comes forward. They ask for a specific change. The commission looks at it. If they accept those petitions, then they move forward into the public hearing process and the rule process. And like I said, sometimes they move forward and they get implemented and sometimes they don't. Um, typically though, when a petition comes forward, it does generate more internal conversation and right. discussion or like in the case of the Mountline line that we just talked about, the Mountline line season, we get a direction from the commission saying, we want you guys to do this and we want to learn more about the options, alternatives, considerations that we should be thinking of. And that's oftentimes where those petitions lead to. So. Even though a petition may not necessarily move forward, many times there are continued conversation
0: discussions about it that could lead to other adjustments or changes in the future. Right, and I think that petition process that was another one of those ones that provided some angst when you know the first times that we brought this up and we're sitting in a room and I remember going, oh my gosh, what are we gonna you know, how are we gonna see this? What's what's this gonna bring about? And and I think it is. You know, to be honest, it's a tough road to hoe on a yeah. petition. But to your point, Tommy, you know, even if it doesn't go through, it certainly provides a lot of things to think about. And they have been implemented later on down the road or at least, right. wow, we never took that into account. Where does this fit in? Right. And and how is it truly affecting? Is, it, is this just a one person or a one area thing? Or is this is this something that we really need to look at and go, wow, I never thought of that because it's coming from a different perspective right
1: right and and what you just alluded to the petitions come in from an individual right so is it just the perspective of that one person looking for i want this change so it does this for me or the commission looks at it and goes wait a minute or does this mean something that's bigger right and is really meaningful and impactful to right. many people out there and so that's part of that process too and um yeah petitions are certainly an interesting part of the whole process. And the one part that's a little challenging with it is when a petition's submitted and the commission accepts it, at that moment in time, they're accepting exactly what that petition is. Mm-hmm. Now, they down the road through their process, they could do some alterations to it, but at that moment in time, it's either accepting the petition or denying it. Right Now, that doesn't preclude the commission from denying it and making their own proposal, Right, which sometimes, Commissioners have done as well. So the process is very unique. It's interesting. Um, again, there's probably no other state agency that addresses and works with petitions like GFMP does. Um, but again, I think that's just a pure result of passion and what people live for, right? right. I mean, a lot of people take vacations to go hunting, fishing, camping, right. so outdoor recreation, be, yep. right? And uh, so when these things come in, There are very very few instances where there isn't a lot of passion involved with the petition itself right right and so we understand that and we don't take those lightly um what we would like if for those individuals that i would share for anybody listening to the to the podcast though if if you are interested in petition submit them early so the commission does have adequate time to think about them ask questions it's really difficult for them to address them when they come in a couple of days in advance right. yep. um, and it is difficult for them because by state statute they have to address them within a 30-day window right yep. and if it comes that late depending on their schedule it may not fit within their next Commission meeting so it it causes them to take some action that may not, they may not be quite ready to go just based on time frame so certainly encourage people to submit them early or contact staff if they have questions about the process as well, because we're here to help them submit it Yep. as well.
2: And that was something I wanted to bring up too. I mean, if, if I'm an individual that's interested in submitting a petition, say it's about fisheries, I can reach out and I can visit with aquatic staff. If it's right. about pheasants, I can visit with upland game staff. And I mean, you guys, even if I say I submit a petition right now and it's two days before a meeting, we might be able to say, hey we don't really have time to get this in two days, but if you withdraw it and then bring it back after the meeting within that 30-day time period, staff can really do their due diligence, commissioners can really do their due diligence, and and we can really have this conversation for the month leading up to the commission. So there's kind of that flexibility there too, and we'll even help folks address rules. That's one of the stipulations is addressing the specific rule you wish to
1: you wish to modify. And and when it comes to administrative rules, the public's not going to know the
0: right? exactly. exact administration. We don't. Just bringing it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. and, that's,
1: and that's what our role is, yep. to help them identify that rule of the change. Whether whether we agree or disagree doesn't matter at that point in time. It's yep. our job to provide that service so they know exactly what rule yep. they're yep. wanting to be modified or changed
0: or right. gotten rid of. Right. So. And that, that petition process you know, for the listeners... Again, go right out on our website. You can type in yep. uh, "public petition," I think it's called, yep. and it'll yep. take you right to our commission page. And there's a form you fill out. And and but I would I would echo that. Certainly, reach out if you're if you have an idea for a petition or you want to do a petition, reach out to staff. Yeah, let us help you. You know, specific staff can sit and sit down and help you kind of craft that and then get that timing right. So they do have a, because our commission does run into that a lot with these petitions where yep. oh, we didn't even have a chance to really look at these. Um, uh, I'm not really sure what we should do, you know, and that's not any. Right. We don't want right. that at all, right? Right. So, cool. Well, now we're getting into the end of Thursday and the finalizations, um, proposals that that are that are you know going to actually get action taken on them and, and voted on. We had a bunch of fisheries finalizations. I think a couple of the coolest ones uh, upping the uh, take. Or the availability of paddlefish tags from three hundred and fifty to five hundred yeah. down at Lake on Francis yeah. Case is that yeah. what we did? Which yeah. is really cool because I have four four preference points on that one. So. Yeah, I got you. I got five. Yeah. <laughs> I've had that tag three times, though, so I played <laughs> we'll too much. Still, screen
1: both right. of <laughs> Ineligible. Yeah. But yeah, this is one of those opportunities where our aquatic staff looking real closely at the data and the statistics and. Right. Knowing where that threshold is of harvest that we can provide some additional opportunity. This is one of those unique,
0: Man, is unique cool. opportunities, awesome. and
1: people really, really enjoy this. It's a, it's a fantastic resource, a very unique one. Is again, it's not your, well, we're going pheasant hunting, we're going grouse hunting, we're gonna right. go right. shoot a duck. This is a paddlefish, yeah. and you're talking about something that could be thirty, thirty-five years old, right. or whatever right. it dinosaurs. might be, right? right. And it, so, it's a really unique. So the. To have the ability to offer some more opportunity and put a few more license out there is, is very exciting, right? right. And, but we we will watch it very very close. We don't want to have any detrimental effect on the numbers of paddlefish, and we don't see that happening. Um, but great to be able to provide yeah. a few more tags
0: out there. It, it was fascinating to me, Tommy, that you know there was 350 tags out there, and and they were talking about you know the harvest and the harvest of what it has been, and I know we're getting those 350 tags out. I know our the participation on that season is extremely high. It's not yeah. like you get that tag and, ah, I'm not going to go. You go." Yeah. But the harvest was like 300 or 275, and I'm guilty of it. The last time I had that tag, I snagged 40 some paddlefish and never tagged them. Yeah. By the time I got done, I was like, "Well, ah, you know, that's really all I wanted to do was land a bunch of dinosaurs and take some pictures and you know spend time outdoors now they eat good they're amazing yeah. yes but I didn't tag one that year and I, I still don't really know why but it must be some resonating feeling because we have a lot of folks going out there paddlefish snagging and not tagging them and which is really really cool so yeah it, again one of those most unique recreational sure. opportunities mm-hmm. we
1: have in this state for sure and it and unfortunately but it's the reality of it it's limited to a very small number of people right but we have a lot of people interested in doing it and and it is interesting because some of those folks that go paddlefish fishing may not necessarily be your other biggest anglers for the rest of the year right, right. They mm-hmm. may not be the diehard yep. walleye guy or the right. diehard bluegill guy like Chris and I are but um but they love to go yeah. do that paddlefish thing and it's a big deal to yep. them and so Again, just the fact that we can provide a few more opportunities and chances mm-hmm. is really, really nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even extending on that, uh, one of the finalizations was to provide a catch and release season on Lake Sturgeon in Big Stone, which yeah. is super cool, too. It <laughs> I mean, is. Talk about dinosaurs.
1: Yeah. Again, another very unique fish species. And, um, and this is one of those efforts where it really epitomizes where we work collaboratively with our neighboring states and other state wildlife agencies for resource management. Minnesota has a catch and release season already, but we are sitting there in a in a co-managed water with different regulations. Right. Yeah. So this is one of those areas where we really work, work closely with another state, and it just makes sense that we're mirroring regulations, we're mirroring the approach and, you know, somebody doesn't have to feel like they just broke the law if they happen to catch one. one. And so
0: now they have the ability, it is a release, and um, again, unique opportunity. I had, uh, you know, being from up in there, up in that country, I've got a lot of friends at that ice fish, and uh, in back to back days, one of my buddies was on Big Stone, they were fishing perch, had a camera down, took a picture of his camera going, what in the bleep, bleepity bleep is this? And you know, (laughs) a three foot sturgeon coming by. And then i don't know if it was the next day but i think it was the day after one of my buddies hooked one and, yeah and got it up to the hole and like kind of went i didn't know what to do with it so i just kind of poked the hook out and let it go and i said right. yeah that's you know that's Perfect. what you have to do but nice job. now there's an opportunity you could actually target them you got to let them go for now yep. but man to catch a three and a half four foot fish through the ice i'm in you yeah, know yeah. i mean that's neat those opportunities that that don't exist and we're trying to make them exist you
1: know so no again a a really cool thing that doesn't exist in many places right and but boy will it be fun for those that do have that opportunity right yeah even if
0: it's by accident (laughs) especially especially by accident that's that's generally how i catch most of my fish (laughs) by accident that's what we heard (laughs) (laughs) uh then we get into uh, actually a finalization that didn't, or that got denied or didn't get passed, The spearing a trout in Black yeah. Hills.
1: And as you just said, I mean, most times when a rule change gets to finalization, the vast, vast majority are approved or modified a little bit and approved and moved on. This is one of those, the spearfishing one. This was a proposal that was brought forward by us. Um, listening to some other input about the opportunity to harvest rainbow trout via spearing in the the reservoirs within the Black Hills. Mm -hmm. And we knew and anticipated there would be some different thoughts and perspectives on this one as well. Uh, We did get some letters and emails of support. We had more that were in opposition to it. Um, Our staff were very confident it was not gonna have a negative impact on Anything, um, rainbow trout in those reservoirs are basically for harvest, right? right. We, yep. we raise them, we release them, and it's for the take. Um, spearing, though, is one of those those uh, take methods that does elevate conversations right. again, yep. right? And this was a great great example of that, and that that's what happened here. And we had a few commissioners that had some concerns and reservations, and so after going through the public input process, having more conversations about it. The commission just didn't feel comfortable moving this one forward and so they rejected this proposal and the spearing of rainbow trout will not be permissible. And again, not the end of the world by any stretch, um, but maybe more importantly, this is again one of those great examples where the process went through, the commission took both sides of everything and everything in between and ultimately decided, nope, this is not one that we're going to approve and move forward and so
0: spearing a rainbow trout won't happen in the right in those reservoirs in the Black Hills. Yeah, I th- I think to me it's just an interesting way that the process works. You know, we we do push it access an opportunity. I mean, we talk yeah. about it every day, and it's okay. You know, this is another opportunity, but maybe it's one that the public doesn't want. Right, and that's what the commission felt as well. Right, that's what they believed,
1: and there were some individual commissioners that weren't comfortable with it as well. And so right again that's their role that's yep. their responsibility right. that's their job to weigh all those things and then make a final decision on it right. and that's what they did so we'll move forward with it cool. Pro- process working like you said exactly as yep. it should that's right. that's a great example of that all
2: these are you right. know some yeah. some opportunities expand some we didn't feel comfortable expanding and so that's what
0: that's exactly. what that balance is right, right. and the, the last one tommy the more i think about this the turkey and antelope draw finalization it's some of the stuff that we deal with and, and, you know, Nick and I as communications guys and you, and you as, the, you know, the head wildlife guy, it's, you look at it and it seems like, okay, it's, it's sort of simple, right? But it's also making sausage. A lot of this is making sausage and try to get, I think there was more misconceptions about this quote unquote simple proposal and finalization than almost anything that I've ever dealt with. Yeah. I mean, we had so many people that were confused about what it did or what it was gonna do. And you know, some people were tipped over on one side and some people were tipped over on the other side where you're sitting in a room going, no, all it does is X, it's not doing any yeah. of this stuff. And that happens with, with a lot of our yeah. stuff. It can get hard to explain quote unquote simple changes or really? simple rules even. Um, and we have a lot of them and, and we we do our best every day to try to Get that out there. What stuff does? But the the turkey and antelope draw finalization is is it, got to be at the top of the list for yeah. me. <laughs>
1: so this is one of those items where one of the things that we all recognize within the department, know and understand, and so do our users, is that we have a high level of complexity when it comes to limited license draws. And the reason we have complexity is because over time, you get requests, you get asks, you get changes that happen out there. And we as an agency, the commission, whatever it might be, we're trying to find ways to accommodate and make things work for all. Right. And it sometimes doesn't work. And sometimes by doing that, we make things too complex. And so yeah, in this particular one, there's a change in the third draw that's where the change occurred in this one and uh, really the bottom line was to limit the number of licenses that one could apply for in the third draw so with the end result of trying to get more licenses in more people's hands and that was the bottom line simplicity of it but it comes across as way more complex than that and and no better example when we get into the deer drawing structure, right? And what happens in the first draw, second draw, third, fourth and fifth. And, um, so it's, it's always tough to really articulate and explain again on this one, uh, the commission did pass the bottom line is we're trying to get more licenses in the hands of more users, provide those opportunities right. to individual work, not trying to <coughs> stymie one individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get into the conversations and it does go into that conversation should an individual be able to get X number of licenses in this, this round of the drawings, right? Is that right? Should somebody have three, four, five, 10, whatever the number might be. And that's another discussion, right? This particular piece here is just saying, we're going to limit it to one in the third draw. Once we get to the fourth draw, it can be a first come, first serve basis. There's not that limitation, but right. we want to get more licenses in the hands of indi- unique individuals right. to get more people out there
0: participating. Yeah, but yeah, I think we had, you know, people coming and talking to us and and saying one thing, yeah. and then people right behind them coming and talking to us, okay. even individually, and saying the exact opposite thing, and they're standing right next to each other, and it's just like. Well, how and do we and make this easier? Some of, the, some of those same things happened during the mountain line
1: discussions as well. You know that that proposal was there, and we even heard comments from people saying this and people saying this, and they were two different things talking about the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So, yep. uh, we're the first to admit when it comes to establishing seasons and drawings and rules and all that stuff, it gets complicated and complex. Right.
0: Cool. Well, uh, just talk about we'll get close to wrapping up we had a bunch of information items and information items for me are actually my favorite part of the commission meetings now it's where our folks are showing off and talking not necessarily showing off but talking about the stuff that they do every day yeah. and and how cool it is and how important it is um our aquatics access our gis staff just did some uh map updates to our fishing access page they're fantastic yeah um, get out there and, and take a check at that. You'll be seeing an email about that this week, too. Um, and some you know some park stuff. Um, parks kind of went through and, and found some places where we can expand some hunting, especially in the fall yeah. uh, and in the spring. But some new hunting opportunities, you know, like up at Roy Lake and a few other ones. Um, if you're up there and you're paying attention, it could be a game changer because yeah. there there's some unbelievable lands up there that we we manage that are wild and rough and tumble and they hold critters so yeah um, and really... the beauty and the beauty of this is finding additional land on
1: public land right yep. yeah opportunities and that are so open it it's going to be some really fun opportunities
0: for people to take advantage of yep um so we'll just go kind of past most of those information items but those are those are really have turned into my favorite part of commission meetings because it gets our folks a chance to kind of stand up and crow about what they've been doing. Well, and the other
1: thing is we can provide new information to the public that they may not be aware of. We can give updates on projects or programs that we're working on. We can bring new things to the table. And um, we are very, very lucky and fortunate and blessed in this agency. We have a lot of really talented individuals, regardless what their discipline is or what their expertise is. We have, in my opinion, some of the most talented and skilled people across the country. And you can see it when they provide their information items, whether they're talking about a fish research project to uh, access that you just described, Chris, to whatever it might be. Uh, We're very lucky to have the talented and skilled people that we do and it gives them an opportunity to, to showcase what they're working on and what they're doing results in the management of the resources or the opportunities that exist for people or the new places to go camping and and those types of things. It's just really, really awesome that they can do that.
2: And, and, you know, even tying this back into to where we started here, this is a great opportunity for those folks to, to get time in front of the commission, to yeah. get to know the commission, for the commission to get to know them. I mean, there's no better thing to talk about something, you know, in front of new people than something you're right. really comfortable about. So, I mean, that's just the that's yeah. the perfect opportunity for, for staff to even further build those relationships and, and get that experience and, and get their information out there. agree. And we yeah. had a
0: Sasquatch sighting. We did have a Sasquatch yes. sighting. Which was interesting. It, it, was it scared a, me. I knew that much. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something amiss, and then I was like, oh, Nick is going to be, and then I look, well, there's Nick. I, uh, Who's in the Sasquatch? And I had to look real close, and I finally figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> she might have got hazard pay for that, so I, I would hope so.
2: <laughs> well, I was trying to coordinate this, and then you guys are calling me up to answer questions right? and stuff, and i got a Sasquatch <laughs> in the hallway, Hello? like,
0: uh...
1: <laughs>
0: Just about called an officer in there Right. <laughs> Well, we got a couple things left, but but I know Tommy's got other stuff to do too. But um, kind of wrapping it up, we talked about those elk contingency licenses. Tommy, just broach on that subject and what it is, and we didn't offer any this year, but right, what and why, like on that.
1: This goes back to we talked about management plans earlier in the segment here, and part of the elk management plan when we met with those stakeholders, that concept was brought up by many of the landowners, permittees out in the Black Hills that. When we have drought conditions, dry conditions, they as livestock managers respond immediately. They take animals off, they have to do this, they adjust the grazing uh, approach, things like that. So we had the conversation, well, what about elk? What can we do as a response if those kind of conditions persist? So what came about were these elk contingency licenses and what that is, we have our normal license allocation for the elk hunting season. Excuse me. But then if drought conditions persist, we look at forage production. We look at input from the forest service staff and things like that and put together a decision table that based on these certain parameters and criteria, we would offer additional antlerless elk licenses for more of an immediate response as a result of conditions and with the thought of lowering the numbers so that we're not having a negative impact on right. forage within the hills, and it's responding to that. So this year we're very fortunate. We've had excellent precipitation, forage conditions look great out there. There's no issues for the livestock and permittees right. on that side of things. And so we brought forward no no L contingency license for this year. We've had a few years where mm-hmm. we've used them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's really the purpose of a, a more immediate response versus waiting a whole nother year right. before you have the ability to do something. Right, and those are
0: like unit specific too, yes. right? Yes. So if the Northern Hills are dry and Southern Hills are good, you know those tags are for those areas that are that is, dry. That is and correct. It, it really is to kind of help mediate where our elk number wants to be and you know and it's high you know and i would say a lot of landowners out there and permittee holders are saying oh my god it's really high you know but that's where we've identified where that elk number is and if we want that elk number to be there we've got to have some of these tools to help kind of mitigate some of these concerns okay i got i had to pull all all these cows out of here or my pastures are in tough shape and now i got a hundred elk chewing on it when i my cows don't have anything what can you guys do to help? Or what yeah. can we do to, to try to figure this out and be good neighbors even, almost, yep. if yeah. you will.
1: And, and I'm not suggesting that this thing is perfect, either, no. how it works, but this was certainly one of those tools in the toolbox that we discussed during the original elk management plan with the stakeholders as part of that stakeholder group. And it was one of those things that we right. came to an agreement at the end.
0: Any other programs like this out west? Any other ideas like this that come out? I. I was asking around. I, I called a couple of people in Montana that I know, and they, yeah, they were I, like, "You're crazy. I have no what you know. There's no, I don't even know what you're talking about." Yeah, yeah,
1: not not that I'm aware of. There might be some different approaches right. that they take, but this just this helps us react quicker, right? Versus you have your licenses, you have a drought condition, for example, or a major fire, or whatever it might be instead of waiting a year to year and a half to be able to respond to it, mm-hmm. we have an immediate response.
2: Yeah. And, and this maybe is my range line minor talking too, but, you know, we're a little bit different too. Don't look at me like that. I, I I went to school. Yeah. I didn't, well, I was enrolled. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, what's interesting to me too is, we we talk we respond right away, you know, and we wouldn't want to wait. We were dry last year and I think we had 15 or 20 contingency licenses, but this year we, you know, if we'd have waited, we had awesome forage conditions. Yeah. But at the same time where, you know, where they can increase and decrease stocking rates right away, when we harvest an elk, that elk is gone. It's not like we could put that right. elk back this year, right? right? Because things are good. So that's another difficult balance too of yeah, you know and how does that work?
1: It's a different game for us when mm-hmm. we yep. are removing additional elk versus livestock. Now, I'm not saying it's easy for those permittees either, or those those mm-hmm. ranchers to put cattle back either, because sometimes they have to reduce their herds, yep. right. right? And so, so it's never apples to apples, but it's uh, certainly a different game for us.
0: Yep, right. And then uh, we we talked about I'm mean, gonna kind of lump them in together, even though they're probably. Not exactly, but we, we talked about the Waterfall Action Plan, and we've, we've talked about some of our game management plans. And then we also had a goose depredation update, which um, Nick Rossman up in the Northeast and, and his crew, uh, how many miles of fence did he say he put up this year? A hundred and... I can't even remember. It, I believe... hundred plus.
2: I think we need to give a shout-out to the interns and seasonals. Right, and yeah. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs>
0: And and Nick and his crew and all our WDM and WDS folks, I mean, they had a long winter. And then to go into a spring where we're raising geese up in the northeast yeah. and, and how do we work with private land owners to help mitigate some of this goose damage and stuff. And, and, and Nick kind of highlighted how they keep track of stuff compared to our old sticky notes and, yeah. and, and that GIS application, which is spectacular. Yeah. But just if you get a chance, listen to Nick. Uh, um, go, go to our website and listen. I mean, it was hundreds of miles of. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's,
1: it is absolutely amazing what they accomplish year in and year right. out when it comes to this. And I think the important message from me to the public and our hunters uh, in particular is this is a unique program that we do in South Dakota compared to basically any other state in the country. And the reason we do it is because of the relationships between private landowners, our agency, our users out there, the necessity to have that positive relationship. Right. And this is one of those areas where we can provide some service and a level of alleviating some of the damage. We mm-hmm. can't stop it with 100% certainty, but our staff and our seasonals and our interns bust their butts and they work and do a tremendous job working with those landowners to try to alleviate some of that damage or in some cases they do a phenomenal job and they can hammer it out. Right. Um, but because we do that, that gives us the opportunity to work with landowners. It gives us the opportunity when we're talking about population levels and hunting opportunities that when we were on the field tour, uh, the, our staff and Nick described how our efforts led to a new walk-in area that's a mm-hmm. full section. Right. Mm-hmm. Those things don't happen overnight. Right. Those things don't happen by accident. Right. That one there is an example of a pure result of our staff working with private landowners, right. and that resulted in more public hunting opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so those things are so unique, and um, and it is because of their efforts that those
0: things result. Which then ends up providing more opportunity for our users out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're talking about you know for folks that maybe don't know. I mean, these geese are born up in the Northeast on a slough, and they literally walk out of the slough and walk into a field, and they can they're, wipe out a bean field like that. They're you grazers. Know? Yeah, yep. they are grazers at right. that. no different than a cow at that point right. in time. But it's, it's it's ag crops that they right. focus on. And our crews going out putting up fences. Um, the sweet clover thing I'd never yeah. seen and that's yeah. amazing. Uh some of the you know, like alfalfa or whatever that they're planting or more permanent options, you know, planting more permanent buffer strips yeah. so they won't walk through it to get to those fields. It's all super creative stuff and, and things that maybe our general hunter angler don't know that we do. It's yeah. super important and ends it's up super important. Ends up, you know, in, in sections of, of ground and, and certainly at at the very minimum trying to be a good neighbor, right? Yep. If you will, but also trying to figure out, come up with solutions on how can we help you and ultimately ending up in more opportunity yeah. and certainly more critters. I yes. Mean, and more tolerance for high critter yeah. numbers, you know?
1: Yeah, and this is an example that there is that segment of hunters that absolutely love Canada goose hunting, right? And mm-hmm. it's a, one of their favorite things to do. Um, on the other hand, what they don't see or don't know or don't understand is the damage that comes with them, the the challenges that it brings for those right. landowners. So there again, to me, it's it's our opportunity to bridge that gap between those landowners, hunters, the hunting opportunities, the damage that it's creating. And we, we provide, in our own way, we fill a niche mm-hmm. also. And it's really neat how it does work out sometime. And again, kudos to all those staff because they work extremely hard and, yeah. and they take it with a high level of passion, like we right. talked about, our users have a passion. Our staff have a, pat- a passion for helping them out, and they do a tremendous job each right. year.
0: And it, it's tough. I mean, whether it's deer or geese, you're dealing with calls. People are coming in, and they're mad. They're, yeah, I mean, livid at some points, you know. And, and yeah. going and going out there and working with them and working hard and yeah. trying to come up with these solutions to mitigate their damage, but also, you know trying to make them happy. But when they first call, a lot of these people are not, there's no way you're going to make them happy. And
1: understandably so. Right. Yeah. They're, they're in a tough spot. Right. right? And when you have a winter, like we did last year, um, it wanes on everybody. Right. And everybody gets tired of it. Right. And they're trying their best as landowners and farmers and ranchers to, to cope with it and get through it. And so are our staff. Right. And so it, it's tough. And I, I think our staff get, when they do get frustrated, most often, it's because they couldn't resolve what the issue right. was because yep. they're trying so dang hard to make it work for right. them. And again, kudos to our staff, right?
2: And and one of the things that kind of opened my eyes again as I started getting into my degree and then obviously my professional career, but you know, as hunters, it was so easy for me to think about okay, these animals occur to me during hunting season, right? You yeah. know, I think about deer for you know three months out of the year from archery to rifle, but you know when it's snow when we got two feet of snow i'm sitting home watching football i'm not yeah, right. i'm not thinking about right. the deer you know i don't Ge- think about the deer for eight more months right, right. january through july you don't even know right. what, yeah. right. Right. what's happening now it, exactly it's... i mean pheasant hunters that we got a bunch of pheasant hunters asking how are the birds are doing well it's not that the birds just showed up right now and are coming in on a bus it's you know what were the forage conditions like in May, June? Yeah. Did we get right. a hailstorm in July? You know, I think that's just one of those eye openings for me going from that hunter to to my background I have now. Is yeah. you know these critters are in South Dakota for twelve months out of the year.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I spent uh, one of my friends up in the northeast said spent three hours digging out to get to my silage pile. When I got there, there was one hundred and fifty deer standing. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. Know? So work all morning to get to your chores and then go, okay, now I, They already beat you there. Right, beat you there. So it, it's tough, but our, our crews, they do, do a yeoman's effort on that they stuff. And, it, it's, and it's day in, day out, when it's whether it's goose or whether we have deer depredation stuff, man. When it's go yeah. time, it's go time and you got to go. And, so. and they go hard. Right. Um, just kind of wrapping it up, Tommy, we're in the middle of, or beginning anyway, that deer management plan process mm-hmm. to talk about that in the steps. I mean, we talked yeah. about the mountain lion one and a little bit about the waterfall. Yeah,
1: we've, we've started that process. We've put a stakeholder group again together on that. They've met once already. They'll be meeting again. We're doing some survey work and just looking at updating approaches for deer management. Um, the biggest conversation will come down to deer drawing structure. Again, right. there's going to be a lot of conversation about that. There's already several ideas that have been thrown out there. Um, Again, for us as an agency, one of our primary priorities is provide as many opportunities, get as many people out in the outdoors, recreating, and that's always the conversation when it comes to deer license. We have more deer hunters than we have available licenses. And so are there ways, are there means that we can get more individual hunters out there hunting? And so. That conversation has been started a lot of great ideas were shared by the stakeholder group members already
0: in our conversation so we'll continue to build on that. Uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I think I think that's those numbers, you know, we talk about R3 a lot, but those deer hunters, those passionate folks, they're up they're out there. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, how many
1: individual hunters applied for the first draw this year? Oh, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but you know we'll have upwards of 60,000, uh, um, yes, 70,000 applications that'll come yep. in, and we don't have anywhere. And again, there's a lot of deer licenses, but there's only so many buck licenses. Right. right. And in the reality, guys, that's what it comes down to. Right. Yep. People want their opportunity, for the most part, people want their opportunity to go harvest a buck. Yep. And when you start thinking about sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 applications, and you might have 30, 35,000 license, whatever the number is of buck licenses, there's people that are not going to get right. One, yep. Right. And so yep. that's the conversation piece. And, um, we continue to see the high demand for deer hunting. We've seen changes in flows from maybe the seasons that are more sought after. I mean, for the longest time, East river deer season was the number one deer season for applications. That's not switched. It's West river deer. Now maybe that alludes to a little bit of the mule deer hunting and, and the different landscapes and stuff, but we still have a ton of people in eastern South Dakota that's the only place they hunt. That's the only place they want to deer hunt. Yep. And when you have limited number of licenses and you have that many people interested, you're going to wait a couple of years. That's just right. the reality of it. And you know that's what stands
2: out to me too. You know, we seventy thousand applications for for thirty thousand licenses. Well, I'm okay at math. I only got to wait every other year or something, right? But you know. It's for our favorite units. It's for our home units. It's for that one that I want to go hunt every single year. And for those guys that are
1: what you just described are in also then a hard to draw unit. It doesn't become every other year. Yep. It becomes every four years, five years, sometimes a little bit longer. And that's hard. Yep. And so to find ways that you can accommodate those folks and accommodate the other individuals and we have deer hunters that only want one deer license we have deer license or excuse me deer hunters that want four or five licenses right. i mean so that and everything in between and so to find that balance is never easy um, but we're trying to maximize those opportunities right. and get as many people involved as we can right. you don't want to talk about making sausage Oh man, <laughs> literally right yeah. <laughs> yeah it's you know and there's always then the conversation when it comes to deer hunting about the firearms hunters and the archery hunters, and there's been a lot of conversation over the last two years about that. The reality is of it, and I try to articulate, is folks quit talking about them because they're all deer hunters. right? And when we look at the true statistics, there's only about 4,000 individuals that the only deer license that they apply for is an archery license. So when you think about the other 60 some thousand, seventy thousand. 70,000 it's a mixture of what they're putting in for. So the end of the day, we're talking about deer hunters, right? We're not talking about the rifle hunters. We're not talking about the archery hunters. We're not talking about the muzzleloader hunters. They are deer hunters. And so how does that all work that we can provide the most opportunities, but have the most people involved at the same time? Right. Cool. Well, what'd we miss boss? No, nothing. I, I, it was a great meeting. It was a busy meeting. Um, For a commission meeting, there was some heated conversations Uh, and again, nothing unexpected, right? Right. The the topics that generate a lot of input and conversations certainly held their weight again and Mm -hmm. they they did. And those, those conversations will continue over the next year. We look forward to that. Um, None of them are going to be easy, but they will be high quality good conversations and I'm confident we'll come up with end results that will fit the majority of people right and we're hopeful that people will remain engaged we ask people to get engaged and look forward to their comments and input and we'll do the best to work with them and work with our commission and ultimately the commission will make some good decisions that we can all move forward with and and enjoy our hunting fishing and everything else that we do in south dakota right
2: on yeah well i was gonna say that's what stands out to me too is you know we've talked about we talk about these hard conversations the work lies ahead but ultimately like you said That's to make the best possible decision. And I think that process, this was probably one of the best meetings to showcase that
1: process playing out on a, on a wide variety of ways. And no matter what conversation comes up, no matter what topic we end up talking about, to me, the one word that always comes up is opportunity. Whether it's hunting, fishing, camping, doing whatever recreational thing you want to do, it's about opportunity. And from the divisional wildlife standpoint, again, I would like to emphasize our priority as habitat and access, because ultimately those provide the foundations for opportunity. And that is our focal point. So whether we're talking about what the season looks like, what are the primary programs and projects we're talking about, whether we're talking about licenses and license sales and the revenue that comes in, all those things funnel together in the blender, as you said, Mm -hmm. making sausage ultimately comes together to provide the opportunities that exist out right. there and that's that's our objective. cool absolutely
0: awesome well thanks for your time yeah uh, thank you appreciate it i think we might have set a record i think we did too i think we did and uh I'm Great. Sure. Now they're going to continue you, to you continue to it. nag on me right. that I talk too much, right? You probably got 8,000 emails in the time that we've had I would right. call right. it
2: a plethora of information yes, would be the way to do that. Like see? see? There you I go. I like it. The pride
0: <laughs> of Eureka, South Dakota, Tommy Kirshman, Thanks for being here, boss. We appreciate the heck out of it. Yeah,
1: thanks for all you guys
0: do as well. The <laughs> So dang far to the key, of are lifting horn with my head. Call our friends for jump, than my batteries dead.